This episode is sponsored by Squirrel Sisters. Squirrel Sisters is a health and wellness company founded by sisters Gracie and Sophie Tyrrell, who are on a mission to help you treat your health. As we all know, I love my food, but one thing I tend to struggle with is the balance between being healthy and indulging in quote-unquote snacks. I like to keep my sugar consumption reasonably low without restricting myself on tasty treats and that's where Squirrel Sisters come in. They have a range of healthy snacks, bars and nibbles that can be found in stores across the nation including Waitrose, Holland and Barrett, Selfridges and online on Amazon. All their products are 100% natural, vegan, gluten-free and made with the highest quality ingredients and most importantly, do not have any added sugars. It's a win-win for all. My personal favourite is the Cacao Orange Energy Bars, which taste just like a Terry's Chocolate Orange, but without all the bad stuff. Follow the brand on Instagram, at Squirrel Sisters. And now for the episode. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm Hannah Harley-Young, a photographer by trade and a foodie at heart. Each week, I sit down and chat all things food with well-known foodies, industry insiders, chefs and people who just love their food. Today, I'm joined by my wonderful, talented friend, Melissa Hemsley. Melissa is a self-taught chef, writer and activist who came onto the food scene 10 years ago as one half of Hemsley and Hemsley with her sister, Jasmine. Since then, Melissa has carved herself a wonderful career speaking up about the really important issues we need to know about in the food world. Sustainability, waste-free cooking, eating and buying seasonally, and making dishes that are deeply nourishing inside and out. Not only is she a beautiful woman, she recently launched her second cookbook, Eat Green, which I can personally vouch for as fantastic and delicious. A mixture of flexitarian recipes, quick, easy and versatile for all, Eat Green is the epitome of what Melissa stands for. Eat well, buy sensibly and nourish yourself from the inside out. Melissa, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> Hannah, what a joy. So it's nice so to lovely you. to see you. It looks like a very cool, lovely, like a room to, to not sweat in where you are. Well, actually, no, the window's shut and it's quite small and I am going to start sweating. <laughs> Thank God this is not for TV. It's only for audio. Um, but, you know, needs must. But I really wish that we could obviously be together. Um, it goes without saying that we are recording remotely due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic that we are all living through. And we're okay. And that's the And we are okay. We are okay. I always start my interviews and I ask, what did you have for breakfast today? Oh, what did I have? Oh, yes. We had um, a sort of egg broccoli scramble. Oh. It was was kind of soft already and I sort of put it on to sort of steam and then I overcooked it. And I don't mind a bit of overcooked broccoli. Like sometimes I want it with a bit of bite. I like it roasted. I like it fried, stir fried, steamed. And it just oversteamed. But then this morning we did um, an egg scramble and we just sort of threw it in. So not not like a frittata because it wasn't set, but it was like wet egg, wet, lovely, soft scrambly eggs. And then the broccoli sort of put through at the end. So it's sort of lovely little brunchy dish. And how have you both been getting on during COVID? We've, we've surprisingly, I don't know why I say surprisingly, we've been surprisingly getting on really, really well. Uh, well, I'll start off by saying hearts go out to everybody that has had 
terrible, horrible things happen and, and all the amazing people that are looking after us, we we feel, I feel lucky, fortunate, just cherish all, all that everyone I know has been okay. And aside from the very sad, tragic side of things, in terms of the getting on with it daily, we've been okay. We've been okay. I can't complain. We've been all right. I mean, lots and lots of my work has been, well, I would say 99% of my work has been cancelled. Uh, I feel lucky that I'd already got halfway through my book tour. But all my lovely summer festivals I was going to be doing in Cornwall and Devon and visiting farmers and growers. And I not only do I enjoy them because I get to talk about my book and what's inspired me, which is the farmers and growers, but it's also where I go to learn. So it's almost like my summer school that I get to find out even more. So, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we are totally okay on a personal level and a work level. We're going to be okay. And actually some silver linings that I think will come out of this is... Uh, food even more being seen as not a fetish, not a fad, not a fuel, but actually sharing community, mental health, it's soulful health, it's physical health, it's all the good stuff that I know you know. Absolutely. Um, And and, and, and to be honest, everybody knows. It's just our priorities have slipped. I am going to sort of touch on a lot of the subjects you have just mentioned in a bit, but I also just want to ask you in relation to covid what have you actually been eating? Have you been craving anything? Because I have been craving the most bizarre things, which I like uh, sort of, well, just, I, I'm not really a huge sugar fan and I've suddenly been eating everything sweet in the cupboards. You know, I'm much more of a sort of, give me a packet of crisps and some olives and, and a cheese board. And now suddenly I'm like, I need chocolate, I need wine gums and all these <laughs> things that I never eat. And I I don't know if it's boredom, anxiety, sort of the unknown, and I'm just sort of like finding myself gravitating towards the kitchen and sort of just foraging for stuff that is not good for you. (laughs) Did you love them as a kid? Are you going back to kid food, as it Um, were? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I've coined this term that I actually quite like cardboard food. I don't know if, if, if that is a great way of explaining it. I could eat just like a few oat cakes without anything on it or like I really like brown pasta with nothing on it. Just if it's in the fridge, I'll like nibble it. It's very yeah. bizarre, but I call it cardboard food because it's sort of like what a hamster would eat. <laughs> I'm just imagining a hamster She doesn't saying, even no, know what to uh, say. <laughs> I'm imagining a hamster saying, I'll take the whole meal pasta, please, not the white one. Um, oh, of course, I, darling. I, I, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. I think a lot of it is boredom. What have I been craving? Do you know what? After we finish, Henry and I are going to go for a walk because I haven't even stepped outside today because it's just too hot for me. Yeah. On, on mine and Henry's first date, we bonded over the fact that we're like what we call super sweaters. Like just sweat. In the winter, I've, I'm sure we... You know this. You know this from when I see you at events. I do know this. You, you come over to me and, I, and you say, can I take a picture of you in a minute? And I go... Um, not anytime soon just let me let me just throw loads of glasses of water on my face first uh so we'll go for a walk and what we like to do on our walks are plan what we want to eat for the week so um we'll 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 base it around what what veg needs using up from our veg box what's in the cupboard that's getting a bit old uh or or something that we've we've neglected and then we'll start thinking flavor wise like i'll tell you what i'm craving like a ban me you know vietnamese ban me uh ban me like noodle salad so all the Mm. things from a ban me and a noodle salad and then we'll go okay so let's make that this week and we'll probably make enough for dinner to make it for for lunch too that's what i'm craving pineapple okay i mean i don't you i'm not i'm quite a (laughs) i always think of pineapple as 
something like my mum, I realised that how spoiled I was because my mum used to cut up fruit for me every day. She worked like every day of the week, but she'd still always make me food and cut me up fruit and plonk it in front of me when I was doing my homework. And I've always thought that someone cutting up your fruit for you is just such a lovely expression of love. It's very maternal, actually, I think, cutting up fruit instead of like <laughs> giving it to someone. It's lovely. And that seamlessly brings me into actually talking about your childhood. So you were born in Kingston. Yep. Uh, your father was British and in, and in the army. Your mother is Filipino. Um, and you grew up in an army base. And I need to know all about this. Well. I haven't been, I've only been to the army bases in my life that I've been to obviously so I don't know what they're all like but this is more the, the one that I grew up in in Kingston uh it's by Richmond Park so it's pretty nice in terms of location wise and it's near you know it's in the heart of Kingston which is now a commuter town but it's it's just basically loads of army housing all the housing looks the same and we lived in this big cul-de-sac where it was really nice because as a kid you want you've got tons of kids to play with um, and in Ger and then when I, between the ages of six to eight, we lived in Germany in two different army bases then, and they were a bit more less sort of set back from, say, a main road, you know, and and um, again, just lovely sense of community. So now where I live in East London, I really, really like, and we moved to about four years ago, um, and you've been. Uh, I have. And I like it here because uh, I get that same neighborhood feel. When I was growing up, the main, the parent that was in the army was 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 the was the dad. I don't remember any uh, mums being part of the forces when I was growing up. We're talking years ago, so there weren't really any dads around. It was definitely mums and kids, and you you would make a friend and then they disappear and move to Australia. So it's constantly. But maybe that taught me to make to enjoy making friends. But at the same time, when I look back, I think, gosh, it was quite strange. I think I was confident and not confident about making friends type thing. Yeah. But then when we finally, then we got to a bit, we're a bit more settled and I aged like 11, I settled, we settled. And, and then I enjoyed getting stuck in at school and getting to know everyone and, and trying to be good at netball. Oh God, don't talk to me about netball. What, were you, what was your position? <laughs> in sports, you were just sort of shoved everywhere, yeah. even if you weren't particularly into it to be honest with you melissa i used to smack myself right in at goal shooter because that did yeah. that required me to actually run the least amount <laughs> your mother is filipino so how did your parents actually meet because that's a really interesting mix of cultures that were going on in the house and if your father was a, out of the house so much she was obviously cooking all the time and i'm assuming that's sort of where you learn a lot of your knowledge and your and, and i guess where your love came from my dad was spoke loads of languages and he loved traveling and he would always um in this last sort of 10 15 years of his life he because after he retired from the army he then started working for the ministry of defense he loved going to georgia and kazakhstan and ukraine and he would come back with loads of uh dried herb mixes and celery salt interesting mixes and books and he would always try and get us to learn a bit more about uh that style of cooking and i had never tasted it and I, I feel bad because I didn't get excited about it like he wanted me to be. But now I know some amazing, like I know, do you know Olia Hercules? Um, and and I, I've tasted her What does food. that name ring about? She, she's written a book. I'm just looking at one of them now. She's got one coming out called, um, she's got one called Caucasus. She's got one coming out called Summer Kitchens. 
uh, she, uh, she she makes beautiful, beautiful food. And now I've got to taste it. It makes me think about, I realized why my dad fell in love with it and why he was encouraging me to learn. But it, it is really difficult when you've not tasted it or someone's not cooked it for you. So my dad couldn't cook a thing, but he would constantly say, oh, can you try this Russian recipe? I remember he was obsessed with borscht and the beetroot soup. And he would always say, it doesn't, it doesn't taste like that, but he wouldn't know how to explain how and we were like I don't know how it's supposed to taste for God's sake so then there's my dad's side this kind of you know make this make this um side and then my mum's side Filipino flavors so Filipino food is sort of a wonderful mix of that there's Spanish influence of bay leaves and black peppercorns and tomatoes because it was a Spanish colony for so many years and then there's like Chinese flavors in it and it's I would say the the overall way I would describe Filipino food, in my head, it's mum comfort food, but obviously that's because my mum is, but it's sour. It's like tamarind and vinegar, which I know you love savory, you said, but a lot of people that don't love savory are like, oh, I, I like a bit of sour, but not too much. But it's it, it's not overpowering. It's just, it's a wonderful. And there's obviously lots of sweet dishes and deep fried dishes and uh, street food dishes, but some of my favorite uh, recipes for my mum that my boyfriend Henry is obsessed with and he's had to learn how to cook himself now because he can't get a hold of my Good. mom's food. Yeah, there's chi- Henry's an amazing cook. It's chicken adobo, which is chicken braised in um, loads of soy sauce or tamari and vinegar and bay leaves and black peppercorns, like whole black peppercorns. Um, there's one called tanola, which is garlic, onions and ginger in a chicken broth and then like loads of pak choy and greens. And, oh my gosh. Oh, Filipino food is lovely. And you've got my book. So throughout the book, there's about probably about four Filipino recipes um, through them. And I, I really don't know enough about Filipino food. I've only been one. Oh, I went once as a child and then once three years ago. But I know my mom's Filipino food. So I'm trying every year to learn a bit more about Filipino food. And there's quite a few Filipino restaurants that have opened up in London. I was just, I was just going to ask you, are there many restaurants in yes, London? Yes, there is... Um, uh, an amazing guy called Budgie has he had a, um, a sh- like a pop-up and then he's just opened just three months before lockdown but we must all go and support him it's called Sarap S-A-R-A-P and it's in Brixton Market oh that's incredible oh well w- once I'm out of lockdown yeah, I Brixton. will be going <laughs> yes I mean it obviously goes without saying that food clearly paid a, played a very important part in your life growing up so Whilst you were growing up with your mum, and when I'm sort of talking really about your childhood here, were you showing a huge interest whilst she was cooking these dishes? I mean, were you in the kitchen with her? Were you asking questions? Were you mucking in? Or was it just sort of the food's on the table and I'll eat it? It's mucking in in the sense that very much, you know, in an army household, there was always... I'll I'll tell you one more thing my dad brought to the table. Uh, Same as my mum, frugality and thriftiness and resourcefulness and this idea that you would never waste food. So that's definitely come from both sides of my family. But I definitely mucked in as a child, but not in the kitchen. So clear up and all that kind of stuff and laying the table. I mean, laying the table doesn't sound like a lot, but I mean, I had my role to play putting laying the table clearing the table helping clear but in terms of the cooking my mum you know she worked so hard it was very much when she came home she'd shut the door to the kitchen and get on with it and she did not want us in the way so I don't remember ever doing anything but I do always remember knowing and on a good day I was because you know when you're a kid sometimes you can be really spoiled you're a spoiled brat you expect food to 
expect shopping, expect food. You know, I re- on a good day, I'd be like, wow, my mum's really good at making something out of nothing. And I remember when you get to that stage where you can- I-, I do remember they're like kids coming around my house and then being like, oh, what's that? Or like, that smells, what's that fishy smell? You know, it would be the fish sauce. And I'd be like, oh, mum. Or, you know, my mum would fry fish for breakfast and someone would be like, you smell. I'd be like, oh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> But then when, when when kids get a bit more adventurous, because it's different, some kids eat everything, some kids like simple flavours, which is, you know, they have different types of taste buds. I remember at a point when people would come to my house and they'd be like, your mum's food is so good. And I'd feel oh, really so they proud finally, of yeah. They finally came round. But it's funny because, you know, you, you, you I don't know if you ever felt like this, like it, when, especially when at certain schools, like, you know, people didn't have friends whose mums were Filipino and they, 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 you know, kids are curious and they say what they think. They just, you know, they'd be like, oh, that's smelly. And I'd be like, oh God, um, uh, you know, I'd feel really self-conscious. I've got the Iranian side with my mum yeah. and, you know, she would cook Persian dishes. And I actually, it wasn't even just necessarily friends making comments if they came over to the house, but I didn't actually have the vocabulary to explain what was even being made because how do you explain things like saffron and dried limes and crispy tadik rice and a rice cooker to kids that you know kids whose knowledge is very much sort of like two potatoes some peas and a bit of gammon or something when there's nothing wrong with that but it was just it was a really eye-opening experience i prop i think for the, for the people that might have come over to my house yeah 100 percent. i remember a few funny moments when my mum would be like don't be ashamed of me and i'd be like i'm not mum because i deeply wasn't i was just you want to be the same you want to eat the same as other kids but then i i quickly realized how absolutely delicious my mum's i knew my mum's food was delicious but when other people said i would be very proud and um Oh yeah, my people that have met my mum or had her food, they always say, "Can we have Filipino food?" And I'm, as I say, ashamed to say I don't know too much about it. That's going to be one of my plans. But also, my mum is so annoying. Love you, mum, because she won't ever give me her, a recipe. So any recipe she's helped me with that's Filipino inspired in the book, I always say to Henry, he always says every every time I do a book, he's like, "Please." don't do a recipe with your mum because you're going to pull your hair out. I'll be like, mum, what exactly do you mean by adding this here? And she changes it. And there's one, Jazz and I did this TV show years ago and there's an episode where she turns up and it turns up as in it's all scripted that she turns up. But she taught us this recipe. It had been printed in the book. It had. It was like a year after the book came out and in the show, in the middle of filming, when there's one take only, time to do it, but small budget, she goes, why are you doing that to us? And we're like, you told us to, mother. Oh, she, oh I she love is a it. Character. I, I have actually had the pleasure of meeting your mum and she is a wonderful person. Oh. I just want to ask though, so because when I asked you the question, you actually were shaking your head when I said, did you have that interest in food? So was so there was no interest really at that time? I love I, I interest in terms of I delicious. Yes, I love the deliciousness. Yes, I uh, I just know I, I wasn't interested in learning how to do it. But I did I'll tell you what I did do. I, I loved I loved Ready Steady Cook. That was absolutely what I watched every single night. I love Jamie Oliver. And I not, love Nigella and I loved um, Gary Rhodes. So I like to watch it. I I think Probably if I'm, if I really think about it, if my mum had said, here's a bit of time, here's a knife, I'm going to help you with it. 
I would have I would have got more involved, but there just simply wasn't time because she was always working. And you know, when you when the dad's away the whole a lot of the time, it's it, you know it, she's looking after us by herself. So I didn't, and I didn't really start cooking until I left home about eighteen, nineteen, when I started to cook for mates who would let me sleep on their sofas or share a bed with them. When I started working, and I would be like, right, well, I need to cook them dinner to say thank you. Didn't have much money, and I just started cooking, and uh, you know, and I and I think. I think it was a great way to learn because I got to make lots of mistakes and I got to work out what what stuff you need to stress about and what stuff you don't. Absolutely. And may may food be the currency that we all sort of uh, move around in. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you and Jasmine then obviously got together and correct me if I'm wrong, you started cooking for photo shoots and for people and a few celebrities as like private chefs and that was kind of the birth of Hemsley and Hemsley. Basically we started cooking for one individual and we we sort of fell into that because Jazz and I were both cooking and helping our friends so I remember I left home and I would call my mum and Jasmine and I think Jasmine as the older sibling definitely had to do more hands-on cooking if mum was working late um, and Jazz I guess all of three of us are good at putting things together and I think that's what cooking the best skill for cooking is is what have you got in the cupboards and give having the confidence to put something together and that's the things I try and um, help people with the most rather than another recipe for this pasta dish or another recipe all of which is fabulous when you have a craving for that dish but I think this element of putting things together anyway so we started to cook for our mates and lots of our generation at the time my generation and hers because she's older than me skip we missed we were the generations that stopped having home economics or cooking and lots of people didn't cook and didn't have the confidence to cook and I didn't have any money to go out and eat the restaurants and so I was cooking a lot and cooking to say thank you and long 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 story short uh we started cooking for one individual who is in a band and then uh the main thing I think that people really wanted from our catering company which became Hemsley and Hemsley was um food that felt special enough that it looked it didn't look fancy but it felt special enough that it felt like a nice occasion to sit down when you've worked really hard for your dinner but also felt soulful and comforting enough that your mum or your best friend made it for you or you could make when you had the time to do it and then you know they were actors and and musicians and they were going on tour and they wanted energy um and they also wanted ideas for snacks basically like just like us we want to we want to be energized we want to feel special we want to feel comforted and we want really nice snacks too I've been thinking about, about snacks a lot today actually <laughs> this is what I'm saying I just can't <laughs> stop eating I think actually what was so lovely about you guys um is that around the time that it was sort of really taking off for you there was that period where people were coming were becoming a lot more educated in terms of what they were putting into their bodies and I couldn't go without mentioning our mutual friend, lovely Shelley, uh, for introducing us. Because I've got such a funny story and you don't know this about how I was introduced to you. <laughs> you obviously know um, good old paradise in Kensal Rise. And I think it was your birthday that you were having in Kensal Rise. And Shelley invited me because I'd just moved into the area. And she said, listen, it's my mate's birthday, come down. And I was like, oh, I just really don't want to go out tonight. I'm tired, whatever. Anyway, I sort of like dragged my feet and came down the rise. And 
Jasmine had made you this beautiful chocolate birthday cake. Oh my gosh, yeah. And the cake was presented to you and it was cut up and (laughs) I was given a slice, obviously, because I don't say no to cake ever. And as I was eating it, Shelley came over to me and she was like, what do you think of the cake? And I was like, it's amazing. It's a chocolatey, fudgy, fabulous, full of goodness. And she was like, yeah, it's got avocado in it. (laughs) And I said, what? She was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's in like, it's, there's avocado in the mixture. And I was like, what do you mean there's bloody avocado in the mixture? Because this was just sort of at, the, at that time where we were starting to find alternatives and you were realistic about it. You were realistic about eating good, nourishing food without it being to the total extreme where you're just restricted from everything that you kind of want or crave in life. And so anyway, the, the point is, is that I was introduced to this avocado chocolate cake and I think you blew my mind. And I was like, well, I've got to be wow. friends with this girl now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think that was 10 years ago. Um, I think it was two, around 2012, because that's when oh, I moved so eight to years ago. Rise. Okay, so, yeah. and if I remember correctly, that it, it was shaped like my head and the the um yes the icing would have been the avocado my hair my fringe you would have had chocolate right. avocado icing. yes that but was then it the sponge was did you take this but the sponge would have been made out of cannellini beans <laughs> did you know that bit as well no see there we go I, but this so, is what i'm saying but you wouldn't have known yeah you would not yummy. have known it was fabulous oh, it was so delicious story. i like that yeah i haven't had a good i haven't had a cake like that since I've got to say this was it so we 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 did very simple soups and stews and we used to make crackers and you know like you said cardboard food like things you want to dip hummus into and 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 we used to make these pea dips and we used to make crackers out of chickpea flour and then for a showstopper yeah um we we would make and Jasmine's friend Chanel who I don't know if you've ever met as well was such a good baker she would help us make the cakes for people's birthdays and the bands and the actors birthdays uh, and weddings and we realized that we were good at it you know we just realized we're good at it like you're, the things you're good at, Hannah, you know, in different in different areas of industry. I'm obviously good at everything. You're absolutely <laughs> smashing it. But, this is it. but isn't it funny when you realise you're good at something and you're like, oh, I just, I'll give it, you know, I'm doing it. And of course I'm good at it because I'm, I'm working hard to be good at it because it's a job. But you realise it somehow feels, you're making a lot of effort, but it also feels effortless at the same time. It feels like it went, you're meant to be. And I remember the first day that I cooked for our first client, you know, this one particular man was like, but I want, I, I, you've done a day. I, I, this is exactly what I want. And I remember just sort of walking down sort of a street in Kensington, like skipping and feeling so happy. I was like, oh, I can cook because I didn't know at that point. I, I basically massively imposter syndromed myself out of it. Well, I was like, oh, well, I haven't been to cooking school. So how can I cook for someone and then pay me to cook for them? But it, it wasn't, I had, a, I had a natural way of cooking. And I think almost all of us do which is that if you if you treat if you cook if you get vegetables when they're at their best and in season and you cook them in the way that you like you know we all have different ways we like food to be um then you can't really go wrong and it's lovely to have you know we work so hard and I not I don't think I know that I would never nor would Jazz have realized that when we were cooking like that we would be having cookbooks and doing fun things and having a cafe in Selfridges but at the same time sometimes I do think oh I'd love to go back to that and when I go and have my days cooking now which mainly are days obviously not now now but before all of this cooking at um cooking for the Felix project the food waste charity or cooking 
at a, a community center, every time I do those days, I go, God, I need to cook more. I need to actually cook more and feed people as opposed to cooking at home and recipe testing and writing for a book or writing for a column, which I love too. But I, I think it's important to get stuck into stuff. I agree. It's the essence of cooking, of making something, yeah. of getting your hands dirty. And working as a team, working as a team. Yeah, I miss Absolutely. Obviously, now you've embarked on a personal journey as a chef and writer. What was sort of your initial angle um, as you started taking this path? Because as I said in the introduction, you really stand for some very important things such as sustainability and sort of this waste not want not um, attitude, which is so important and, and current right now. You know, social media, and, and, and I would say specifically Instagram, because I find myself spending more time on Instagram uh, than the other channels. I just realized that the best thing to do is, is this uh, write about, and it, it just seems so simplistic and makes sense, but write about things that interest you. So I post recipes of food that I'm either eating or I'll go, gosh, I found this picture on my phone from last summer. Completely forgot how good that recipe is gonna make it and I'll post it and say I'm gonna make this tonight and then that's what makes me happy and then people's back people's comebacks and comments and it's all about the comments and the chats that are sparked off this post will be something along the lines of they'll say this recipe is amazing gosh didn't know you could eat cauliflower leaves now in my head that's quite obvious but actually five years ago or ten years ago maybe it wasn't obvious to me to eat cauliflower leaves and then that will spark a conversation about which parts of the vegetables you can eat or not eat or I'll say something like, uh, use a quality cheese. And literally someone said to me today, what do you mean a quality cheese? I'll say, great, I didn't explain that very well, which I didn't to that in my post. And I'll say, check out this link where I link to farmers um, who have who are making cheese in the traditional way, or maybe a quality a distributor here who gathers up and acts as a distribution center for lots of little uh, cheesemongers and who who don't even have a social media presence or we'll start talking about food waste and then we'll bring something else into it. And I'll, you know, sorry, I sort of rambled that point, but I feel now even more so that if I'm gonna put a recipe up, and as you know, uh, putting content out for free, it's part and parcel of what you do. So obviously the ways you earn money is, you know, don't earn huge amounts because I'm no Ottolenghi or Jamie Oliver, but you know, the, you, you take, <laughs> one day, darling, don't worry, it's happening. <laughs> you, you don't earn a huge amount from your books, but you earn, you know, you know, it keeps it, keep, it keeps you going. But what you do need to do is is offer free uh, recipes, which I love to do because recipe, coming up with recipes is easy because it's what I'm eating at home. But now I've decided, and it came through just plodding along, as it were is that I'll always write at the beginning of a recipe why I'm putting this recipe up. So whether it's giving a tip around not wasting food or I'm shout out to a particular small producer or um, I put up a, a salad and then someone messaged me and said, you know what, with the school, with schools closed and restaurants closed, there is a real, real uh, abundance as in about to rot of asparagus and tomatoes and cucumbers. Um, could you share more recipes on those. So now I'm like, okay, great, I will. So more recipes on that. And then that feeds into, so whether sometimes I think people might get turned off like, oh, I just want to make dinner and I want inspiration. Do we need to have a whole chat about sustainability right now? So my thing is just weave it in because it is all sustainability. Sustainability is, is, is for me, it's so hard to define it, but it's like having the best intentions in all areas of my life. So trying to keep things, um, 
you know, you mentioned avocado from when we first met, you know, I'm really trying to not uh, give recipes with avocado because I think we got to the point where, where avocados are absolutely delicious. And I think in my childhood, I probably ate one when my mum smashed it up, covered it with sugar and tried to pass it off as ice cream. And I hated it. But, you know, the more we eat, if we eat too much of one thing, especially if it's not grown locally, we're not necess- we're, we're not leaving room for other things. And so in my last book, I tried really hard to focus on veg that sometimes gets overlooked, like the parsnips and turnips and swedes. And then the parts of veg, like radish leaves, I'm going to start banging on about now because people like radishes. But then what about those lovely peppery radish leaves? Delicious. Absolutely, absolutely. And, but why is, why has it become so important for you? I mean, obviously, you know, we, as an entire nation on this planet have to start being a lot more aware of our overconsumption of waste. I mean, I'm not just talking about food, but obviously for for the conversation we're having, you know, food waste is quite atrocious in certain places. And I guess, I mean, you know, even with current day, with what we're going through with this pandemic, I think that it's massively changed the mindset of how we buy food and ingredients and what we do with it and then what we do or don't chuck away. Mm. And I think that's what you've been very successful at doing, you know, whether it's this sort of like fridge foraging and making a big sort of egg tortilla and just shoving in all the bits of veg that were at the bottom of the drawer. I think that's what you've been very successful at doing. Oh, hello, Nelly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Melissa's dog. Um, I think that's what you've been very successful at doing, would you say? Well, going back to what you said right at the beginning is, I don't think that I was thinking about sustainability and the climate crisis nearly enough, like most of us were. We, we knew that it was all hotting up. We knew we had to stop using plastic straws, but it didn't feel like it was being talked about enough that we had to get our shit together, if I'm allowed to say shit on your podcast. And then you about, so I so am. And then uh, I guess about five years ago, I don't know what the big moment, there wasn't a big moment. And because I didn't go to cookery school and because I have never grown up in farmland or understand growing, I would ask very, I wasn't afraid to ask very basic questions from people like, why are you doing this? And what happens next? And why aren't you doing it like that? Or what does this mean? And I found it fascinating. And so I, and and I know that we all do. And I was laughing so much the other day because one of the best parts of my year last year was going to Country File Live and doing a a demo and then being um, on the National Trust stage. And then I got to do a talk with Anita Rani where I met Anita Rani, who I love and various other Country File presenters. And I was just looking around and going, Three years ago, I would never have watched Country File. I wouldn't. I would have watched it if it was on, but I wouldn't, you know, sort it out. And now the podcast that I listen to when I'm cooking dinner, like Farmerama, amazing. Or, uh, you what know, a great name for a podcast. It's a great podcast, and yeah. and I I love them, and and so I want to share those people, and I want to know as much as possible about them. And as you say, waste of all kinds. You know, when you're wasting food and throwing food in the bin, of which apparently the UN says a third of all food produced. Uh, is thrown away you exactly what you said you're not just throwing away food you're wasting all the resources that went into the growing the distributing every stage of its life till it ended up at you and then I don't know who said this quote and it's a good one so I should find out but when they say when you're throwing things away there is no away and we know that and you know the BBC One documentary War on Plastic with Hugh Fenley Whittingstall and the amazing Anita Rani he goes to track where our our shopping bags are ending up Um, and actually I remember 
I think I read somewhere that um, one Filipino island shipped back all shipped back all the plastic waste that had got shipped to them because they were like, we're not no dealing with your, with your plastic waste. So oh, wow. I and then, you know, I started the sustainability sessions. They were they ran for about 10 sessions every Monday over the autumn, last autumn gone in real life. And they sold out so quickly. And we, you know, I paid the speakers and then a third of all the ticket price went to a different charity related to it. So my first one was Grace Dent, the food critic, Sky Gingle, the acclaimed chef, and Anita Rani, the TV presenter and slow living champion. And we talked about food and then we gave a third of the ticket price to the Felix Project, who I mentioned before. How lovely. So I've actually done some work with the Felix Project. Hi, I think you, yeah, they're a re- what a wonderful organisation. I guess also in a way, when you decided to write Eat Green, this was kind of all of these thought processes that you've been talking about was sort of you putting it into a book for all of us to then sort of really start putting it to good use in terms of us cooking at home. And I think that's what that's why I love the book. And, you know, this whole sort of term flexitarian, which some I mean, I used I call myself a flexitarian. My friends think that I'm a twat, but, you know, and a lot of people probably sniff their noses at it. But you know what? Like we need to be mindful about how we are eating. And, and and what and what we're choosing when we go and do our food shops. And I think with the book, why I have enjoyed it, especially during this time where all I can do is cook and not go out to my restaurants and whatnot, um, is that you allow for the versatility. So if I want to add fish into my favorite halloumi salad or I wanted to add a bit of chicken, I could do that. It yeah. also works perfectly without. And I think that's, that's how I would love everything to kind of move forward mm. is that you uh, have your options i like how you said versatility and i was thinking imagine if you called yourself a versatilitarian to your friends how much <laughs> of a how much of a twat would they think you were then i mean do you think that would you think that we've just do you think that you've just coined the new one i think so i think versatilitarian <laughs> versatility yeah oh wow um it's so interesting what you say about um food labels because i mean i don't sit there and go i'm a flexitarian if someone, if I was at a, if, if if someone said to me, try and describe how you eat, it's so difficult to describe, and not, and and also, I don't think it's not important because it feeds exactly, no pun intended, into what we're saying, which is it, it's important to talk about where our food came from. Um, so, in a way, if I would say, if someone said to me, how do you eat, I would say. I try to eat sustainably as possible, as close as nature as possible, by knowing as much as possible about the people that grew and farmed my food and try and buy direct from them as much as possible. I mean, all of that, trying to get it into this one word. I think vegan and vegetarian are so important when you're at a restaurant or now ordering online because it shows people exactly what you absolutely can and cannot have and do not wish to have. I love first. that's all I'm thinking about that's what I'm gonna be (laughs) yeah because um you've slightly you know and I it's a memorable word because swapping things in in or out I mean if I could have you know what other words could I have I'm trying to think of all the names we didn't go for instead of calling it eat green at one point I wanted to call it the flexible kitchen and they said it's not a yoga cookbook Melissa uh, because oh, I was trying brilliant. to bring in that exactly that flexible swapping things in and out versatility variety as well is the big the big word um and also 
the bits that I think people love the most are almost the bits that people probably don't know are in the book or maybe haven't even found in the book yet, which is my favorite bits that I had to fight so hard to keep in the book because there's always too many pages that you want to put in a book and things have to get dropped. And I mean, some of my, I wish I could actually, I might start, I might start putting up hate emails from me and my publishers where we write things to each other or text each other towards right at the end, publication date. I'd also just fallen down the stairs and had to go buy ambulance to A&E the two weeks yeah, before you my a book. Yeah, very bad fall. Yeah, yes. and my publishers were like, Melissa, we don't want to upset you, but all the emails start with, please don't cry, but, or me going like, I'm going to cry. And not in a sport way, but but these are, these are very real things, I'll tell you. At one point, the season's guide was going to get cut because there was no space for it. And in the season's guide, I go from early spring, late spring, all the way through, obviously, to early winter, late winter. And I'd asked farmers like Guy Singh Watson of Riverford Organics, who wrote the forward to my book. And I'd asked various farmers if they agreed that my seasons were were on point. And they said, we all disagree. Even, you know, people would say me and my farmer next door, because it depends on the climate and what's going on and exactly where you are. But yes, in general, this is what a seasons guide looks like for the UK. And my publisher said, we're going to have to cut it. And I said, but no, because people say they want to eat more seasonally. And if we don't give them a guide, then how can we encourage people? I, I personally have my season's guide printed out and stuck, the same one that's in the book. I know people that have taken pictures of it on their phone and they use it for shopping. And I know people that would have it at their desk at work. Um, and then at the back of the book, the A to Z of odds and ends, you know, all the ideas that I couldn't put into recipes because it's not enough space. What do you do with the ends of an asparagus? You know, we're all eating asparagus at the moment, but people are sort of, and I used to do this, you know, snapping off the asparagus end and maybe a quarter of a third of the asparagus is going in the bin or hopefully the compost. So I came up with a recipe called bottom soup, which is for the asparagus bottoms. And you make a lovely creamy green soup. They just need longer to simmer. You've just given me a great idea. You're going to make bottom so soup. so much asparagus in the fridge. Do it. And I, and, I, and I have to say, but don't worry, it does go into the compost. Um, I do cut off the ends because I find them too tough to eat. Yeah, so give them a little simmer. Some, some, something, you know, sometimes the very, very end is is too, still too much, but you can simmer it and simmer it and then you can blitz it. And if it doesn't want to blitz, if it's too stringy, you can just discard it. But you get, even if you don't get um, soup out of it, having making asparagus stock to then flavour a risotto mm. or flavour a lovely uh, mm. noodle broth is amazing. But I love mm. um, a handful of frozen peas thrown in at the end to a, saucepan that's just had simmered asparagus stock and then maybe a dash of cream or a dash of oat milk whatever your 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 milk is and a bit of mint or basil and maybe some chives on top my gosh delicious Ooh. well there we go i might be doing that tomorrow do it i'm i'm still learning and there's loads more people just like me and i and i know lots of other people who haven't talked about sustainability as much and are now like we are we are with you let's all talk about all of these issues i mean there's so many it can be refill it can be plastic free shopping it can be local shopping it can be seasonal shopping it can be uh like tom hunt who always who has the term root to fruit it can be championing restaurants that are zero waste there's so many different ways we can all try and be more sustainable something that you actually uh well we both kind of mentioned at the beginning is the link between food and mental health how do we eat to feel good is it simply just eating your fruit and veg and making sure you've got a colorful plate in front of you? Or is it a little bit deeper than it's, that? It's much, much, yeah, it's it's very, very complicated. And I think uh, as, as you know, someone who's not a nutritionist and, and not at all medically trained to say that 
only in my experience, and you know, I work, I'm an ambassador for Bryony Gordon's Mental Health Mates, and I, I love, we had a whole, interestingly, one of the sustainability sessions, I told you they all sold out, the one that sold out in seconds was the mental health one. And that was with Matt Haig and Bryony Gordon and Paul Nabell and the Mind Medic. Uh, I love those. I love all of those yeah, guys. They're all amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. For everyone listening, do give them all a follow because they're brilliant. And yeah. what uh, what they what we all agreed was, you know, talking from a very personal point of view, is that cooking and eating is very powerful. Uh, eating a wide, I'm going to say the same things again. Eating a wide variety of foods considering foods that we don't maybe eat enough of like oily fish and dark leafy greens which in my head are like the ones my mum used to bang on about all the time you know like I told you she'd, she'd fry me up mackerel for breakfast uh oily fish dark greens but you know your everyday veg have all got their pros and advantages and greatness too so, but it's about eating a variety but then on a cooking level I think on a personal level on a cooking level being able to feed yourself and it doesn't have to be complicated but um the finding a finding a recipe that you enjoy the thought of because I think so much like I told you me and my boyfriend love going for a walk and thinking about the food we're going to eat during the week and we're not talking about fancy food um you know I don't consider a Vietnamese noodle salad fancy food it's you know it might be it might sound interesting to you because maybe you've not had one but if you know this dish it's very very veg loaded and herb loaded and beautiful but you know the act of looking knowing you're going to cook a meal looking forward to it making it in a very simple way and then having that finished dish in front of you and then without getting too hippie consuming something that you've made for yourself i think is so incredibly powerful and i see lots of people and i do charity cooking lessons and when i see the buzz that comes off them I've made that, I've accomplished that. That's given me confidence. It's really quite infectious. So I just think it's like it's like that one dish, like whatever that one recipe is that will get you into it is the way to do it. And I know loads of people that get into it, fall off the bandwagon because life takes over, work takes over, but it's hard to shop. And then they get back into it and they go, oh, this is why I do it. And I think quite a lot of the time it comes down to soups and shoes. You know I love a soup and shoe. As much as we're talking about salads, because it's hot, grounding soups and shoes are nourishing and comforting that if you have a freezer, you can put it in the freezer. And if not, sharing with people, your neighbor. Oh, you just took the words out of my mouth. I think it's also about sharing. It's sharing a delicious meal with someone or your family or, you know, like what you used to do when you were younger, cooking for friends. And I think there's a real pleasure in also, and I don't say this from a, oh, because I, you know, I'm the greatest cook in the world, but watching people enjoy your food. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure you get this, you know, you love what you do. You love cooking. And I always say this and I've banged on about it in, in the last season. But, you know, you know when something has been made with love. And I think that's so incredibly important for the cook and also for the the receiver, if we want to call it a receiver. But, you know, it's, it's an I, exchange I think it works both ways. Exactly. It's, it's our currency. It's our currency. It's our currency. <laughs> In a future life, when we are allowed to resume to some sort of normalcy, where are some of your favourite restaurants that you can't wait to go back to? Ooh, I am really looking forward to going to, to Silo in Hackney Wick. There's two places I love in Hackney Wick. Silo, which is a zero-waste restaurant that was five years in Brighton. And just next door to it is Cornerstone. Uh, which is a predominantly a fish seafood restaurant and is absolutely gorgeous. All you West Londoners, make the effort. Boy, <laughs> make the effort to go. 
Oh, and speaking of West London, love Orisay, which is Jackson Boxer's place, which is your way. I love uh, Stony Street in Borough Market. Sarap, I mentioned the Filipino restaurant. I'm going to go there. You're going to go there. Uh, we're um, going to go together. Gonna I'm, go I'm going to have to go with you. <laughs> we're going to go together. Let's not just talk about London, obviously. I'm looking forward to going to um, Tommy Banks's place, um, Yorkshire Way. I'm looking forward to going to Coombs Head Farm, Devon Cornwall Borders. I'm looking forward to going back to Riverford and River Cottage, two places that I absolutely adore. And they always have summer festivals and things that I love. Um, I'm looking forward to going to the Hidden Hut pop-ups in Cornwall and Porthscatho. I can't wait to go to the Isles of Scilly, which is my happy place, and eat crab sandwiches there. Do you know what? I'm gutted. Myself and Sky Gingle, she has um, two restaurants at Heckfield Place in Hampshire, and we were going to cook together and do an event together. And that was supposed to be the week after lockdown. So I think we're going to reschedule that for September. I think Sky Gingle is an absolute legend and should say her restaurant, Spring at Somerset House, is single-use plastic-free. Oh, wow. So that's quite exciting. Absolutely. She's ahead of her time. She's a legend. Very good for her. I think one of the great things that we'll do, and I've always been drawn to restaurants that do this, and lots do this naturally anyway, is we'll start to see restaurants more and more and more um, write their menus based on what's available and with shout outs to suppliers. And I think that's so important. And I've always loved seeing that because I fall more in love with the food if I know the story behind it. I kind of am not into and don't need the description of the dish. I don't need like the adjectives and the flowery words uh, because I'm impatient. But I will always go, move towards a dish on the menu that says this is from. Because you know when someone's proud of their menu, they'll shout out their suppliers. And I'm Completely. talking about food and drink. And, you know, that, that, that for me makes a restaurant special when you can tell that they care about what's going on behind the scenes and they want you to know what they're doing wow what a lovely way to end the interview on i always finish the interview with a few quick fire questions so are you ready yeah my favorite snack of all time which will no longer come as a surprise to you is a packet of crisps i could literally (laughs) swim in a pool of crisps what flavor what is your no hold on a second I will tell you mine once you've told me yours. What is your favourite flavour of crisps and why? Salt and vinegar. Because I told you I love sour. I love sour and tangy. Is that yours? Well, is there a particular brand that you like? Because there are very different salt and vinegars out there. I'm very specific. No. I'm not really. Like, my boyfriend loves crisps. There's always loads of crisps. I'll just eat whatever. I don't really know because they're brought to me in a bowl with the gin and tonic next to them. (laughs) My favourite packet of crisps is a pickled onion Munster Munch. Oh my gosh, that is a great flavour. Yeah, I mean, it's it's dirty. <laughs> Anything pickled, I love. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. I kind of sort of figured it's pickled, so it's probably a little bit healthy somewhere in there. <laughs> what is the craziest food you've ever eaten? In Tokyo, I can't remember what it was, but I feel like it was the eyeball of a what? fish. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't... They're meant to be quite nice, um, fish eyeballs. I think it was co- very cold. I remember the texture more than anything. I mean, I, I don't, it's funny because people think, people have different standards of what they think is weird. Like my my favorite part of the prawn is sucking the juice out of the prawn head. Do you agree? My dad loves that. Dad no, my that. dad loves it and well, I can't do it. He is my birthday twin, isn't he? Oh yes, birthday, he is. So we, we you are, like, you're both, we both prawn, September prawn, babies. You can let him know that 
we thought about him when we were talking about sucking porn heads. Um, <laughs> but you know, he that, will be honoured. That's that's I that's my favourite part of the porn. It's funny, isn't it? Because food does have fads. So things that we would have found weird now, like. I grew up eating kimchi and sauerkraut and that to other people was really weird. And now everyone loves yeah. kimchi and sauerkraut and it's become very universal. I like, I like knowing that when, you know, if our, the next generation come along, nobody will ever feel like they have to be shy about their family's heritage because people will be like, wow, what is that? As opposed to, oh, it's a bit different. Yeah. What's been your most memorable meal? Oh, the one that sticks out too, uh, Coombs Head Farm, which you is just the best best place ever and you've got to really become an advance when we were there um there was a 70th birthday and you know half the restaurant was taken up with a family of three generations and there was a little kid at the table till 11 o'clock and I just love that there and then we went from there Devon down to Cornwall and I uh ate a meal with Simon Stallard who runs the Hidden Hut he's got a cafe with his wife and they do pop-ups on the beach like once a month and they just have long long tables and you get whatever the catch of the day is there was dogs running around and I just thought I am so lucky what is the food you eat the most of I mean can vegetables is the bracket whole bracket of veg be on there yeah. I would say I would say vegetables and herbs, I you know, I really eat a lot of herbs and they're the only things I'm growing successfully all year round. You know, I get mm. to the stage now where I'm so lazy. If I can't be, or, or, and hot, if I can't be bothered to fry an onion, which actually, I say that is, I feel like frying an onion is almost as relaxing as doing 10 minutes of yoga for me. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not taking the piss. I mean, I absolutely love yoga, but sometimes when I'm stressed, I'm like, shall I do 10 minutes of yoga or shall I, fry and chop an onion for 10 minutes. Sometimes it's the onion. I, I think I've just reached a whole new level within my within quarantine and we now are bonding over sauteing and softening an onion in yeah. a pan. It, it gets me every single time. Lastly, but I think most importantly, live to eat or eat to live? Live to eat! <laughs> Bravo! <laughs> Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has been so enlightening just hearing, you know, your views about topics that are really current and really important, but also approached in a very fun and versatile way. (laughs) There's that big V again. You can follow Melissa on social media at melissa.hemsley and please go and purchase the book Eat Green. In fact, go and purchase all of her books, which are out now. Oh, Hannah, you absolute legend. Thank you. Thank you for listening and joining me this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend and another and maybe another. Don't forget to follow all the crazy sexy antics on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food. And please visit the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel where you will find the food show, how-to videos, interviews, and everything in between. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.